Welcome to Urban Hope Community Church's podcast. Today's sermon is titled, The Coming Final Day of Judgment, Part 3. From Acts 17, 30-31, Revelation 20, 11-15, from Senior Pastor Alton Hardy. I'm going to do my best, and I say my best, in trying to preach this coming final day of judgment scene truly without weeping, without crying, without being overwhelmed by what I have grown to understand in my limited knowledge of the salvation, the grace, and the mercy of God. A grace given to the elect of God, according to 2 Timothy 1.9, which Dion read, which says, according to his own purpose and grace, which he gave us, if you're a believer here today, Paul says, which he gave us in Christ before the beginning of time. Some translations say before time began. Others say, or granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Um, Prince of Preachers Charles Hatton Spurgeon says of this text from 2 Timothy 1.9, he said, God's love to his people is not a thing of yesterday. He loved them before the world was made. He will love them when the world has ceased to be. It was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. As you can see, we have communion today. And communion is for the genuine believer who has trusted in Christ with all of his or her heart and with reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit who are endeavoring to live as followers of Christ. My humble intention here this morning with this sermon is to have us to be overcome with God's grace, with his mercy, which was given to us before the beginning of time. Before I proceed, I want to add a word of caution for myself and for those of us who would desire to meditate upon these things much more beyond this sermon. And so here's my caution from John Calvin, who is considered to be one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, says concerning this lofty doctrine of what we call election and predestination. John Calvin says, the discussion of predestination, the subject of itself rather intricate, is made very perplexed and therefore dangerous by human curiosity, which no barriers can restrain, wandering into forbidding 
labyrinths and from sowing beyond its sphere as if determined to leave none of the divine secrets unscrutinized or unexplored. First then, let them remember that when they inquire into predestination, they penetrate into the innermost recesses of divine wisdom, where the careless and confident intruder will obtain no satisfaction to his curiosity. For we know what when we have exceeded the limits of the word, we shall get into a devious and irksome course in which error slips and falls will inevitable and we are not under obligation to explain. These truths, we are only under the obligation to state what God has revealed in his word and to vindicate these statements as far as possible from misconceptions and objections. The importance of the subject discussed should lead us to proceed only with profoundest reverence and caution. While it is true that mysteries are to be handled with care, and while unwarranted and presumptuous speculations concerning divine things are to be avoided, yet if we would declare the gospel in its purity and fullness, we must be careful not to withhold from believers what is declared in the scriptures concerning predestination. That some of these truths will be perverted and abused by the ungodly is to be expected. No matter how plainly it is taught in scripture, the unenlightened mind considers it as absurd. For instance, that one God should exist in three persons, or that God should foreknow the entire course of the world events, as that his plan should include the destiny of every person. And while we can know only as much about predestination as God has seen fit to reveal, it is important that we shall know that much. Otherwise, it would not have been revealed and where scriptures leads, we may follow. John Calvin. So let us therefore turn our attention to the scriptures here this morning. We have arrived at the coming final day of judgment because we're walking through the book of Acts and the great apostle Paul has reached where the apex of human philosophy which is Areopagus, better known as Mars Hill by the Romans. No other teachers of scripture hits at the core of human pride and religious philosophies than the doctrine of election and predestination. As the pro says, no other doctrine in the Christian faith engenders more debate than the doctrine of predestination. Martin Luther, the great reformer, who preceded John Calvin a few years, he says, no other doctrine more clearly demonstrates our utter dependence on divine grace 
and mercy than the doctrine of predestination. As Karen was exhorting us in the praise and worship time, says, who did I tell the people of God, Moses, I said, tell them that I am that I am. I choose who I choose. I elect who I elect. If I wanted to kill Pharaoh by now, I could have done that. He says that in um, Exodus 7, I believe, or Exodus 9, 16, as you see that God can do what he wants. As I said earlier that I've been just holding back tears because as I have grown in this, it's, I just, um, I'm just a putty in the hands of a, of a God who chooses out of his own whatever, and it is a very, very humbling thing. Paul here at Mars Hill, he gives to these Athenians a sober declaration that the whole human race on the day of judgment will be judged, Paul says, in verse 31, in verse 30. As God said, in the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world by a man whom he has appointed. Judge the world in righteousness by this man whom he has appointed. And Paul says, of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And on that day, according to Revelation 20, verse 12, you can go there. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. I want to help you to see to bring your attention to the great and small. That's interesting to me because I want to flesh that out. Go to Revelation chapter 13, which is a few pages over, to page 1227. John says, I saw on that day, I saw the great and small. And here in Revelation 13, I want you to see, starting with verse 11, page 1227, I want you to see this great and small and who it is that's really in the great and small. So here it goes, verse 11. He said, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, talking about the Antichrist, and it spoke like a dragon, and it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performed great signs and even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet live. Verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain, which is verse 16. And also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor. I want you to see that. Everyone, rich, poor, black, brown, all people are in this. 
both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So we can see with this great and small that it refers to all people, whore, rich, kings, queens, governors, mayors, you name it. And the writer says in Revelation 20 that he saw the great and small all before this throne. And he goes on to say in verse 12, he said, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It says that the books were open which is the book of life. My question to us all is, what is the book of life referred to as the Lamb's book of life, and how is the doctrine of predestination connected to it? What is the book of life, or referred to as the Lamb's book of life, and how is the doctrine of predestination connected to it? And so I have here in my notes, I said, this is where I am going to let Scripture guide us and try not to give very much commentary that will eventually lead us to the table of the Lord for believers. And so I want you to turn your attention to, uh, which is my only keynote slides here for today, and I'm going to read them to you. Um, Joel, you can put the slides up, starting with the first one. Um, we quote the Westminster Confession of Faith. These are creeds that we hold to in our denomination where the elders all got together reading the Bible and they fought through what does the Bible teach about salvation, predestination, election, and the above. Um, I didn't give you the proof scriptures to it, but you can go on the internet and put in Westminster Confession, put proof text, and you can read that, and I would encourage you to do just that. Uh, I'll give you a heads up. For some of you, this is your first time ever reading anything like this. And, um, and I'm going somewhere with it because um, for me, I've been reading this for a while. Um, it, it, um, I'm humbled. I don't know how to explain that even more so. And I'm overcome by God's grace to me. And that's where a lot of the tears really come from. And so as I read this to you, um, we'll get back into the text. And I'm not going to make a whole lot of commentary. I just want you to read it. And you have to sit with this. And for some of you, this may be the first time. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will just open your heart and your mind you're sitting here today as a believer. And it says, from God, from all eternity, 
sent by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away. Talking about human freedom, but rather established. Second question. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet have he had not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. Three. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. Four. These angels and men thus predestined and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Five. Those of mankind that are predestinated unto life, God before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose. Immutable means unable to change. And the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will has chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in either of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him thereunto and all to the praise of his glorious grace. Six. As God has appointed the elect unto glory, so hath he by the eternal and most free purpose of his will foreordained all the means thereunto, wherefore they who are elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, are effectually called unto faith in Christ by his spirit, working in due season, are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by his power through faith unto salvation. Neither are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. Now I want you to, to go back to Revelation 20. And now let's read this text in light of the confession that we've just read. And let's see how this now impacts your heart. Look at verse 15. Well, let's go back to verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. 
And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book according to what they had done. Verse 14, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name is not found, written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. word predestination it means God in his sovereignty in some way predestines who gets into heaven and who does not the scriptures tell us that God writes our names in the Lamb's book of life but when does he write it in the Lamb's book of life and this is where I'm going to try to answer according to the scriptures I'm just going to read the scriptures to you Go to Revelation 21, verse 7, just one page over. In the Pew Bible, it should be page 1234. I had us in our call to worship. Um, actually, 1233, Revelation 21. Let me just read it just because it just fits. It's weeping, suffering, pain, pneumonia, flu, COVID, whatever. These things will not always do. It said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4 In weeping this morning he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be any more mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then he goes on explaining uh, you go down to verse 8 as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable and for the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire, which is the second death. Then you go to verse 27, which is where I want to end here, just these verses. And then John says, look at verse 27. He says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, this new heaven and this new earth. Nothing unclean will ever be there ever again. There will be no more sin. There will be no more lying. There will be no more fornication, no more sexual immorality, no more any of those things, no more porn, no more any of that. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But catch this, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Go to Revelation chapter 3, page 1220. Building up. A 
Titus, he's writing to the church in Sardis. And he's telling them, hold in. I know your works. Don't give up. Look at verse 4. He says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. God always has his elect, his people, those in whom he is, he is called by his own sovereign power and grace. And that's what the John is saying. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis who have not soiled, become, become contaminated with the world around them, the Babylon. They're not giving in to it. They fight the good fight of faith. He says, you have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Look at verse 5. Just look at this promise from Jesus. He said, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white gar garments. And I will never blot out his or her name, here it is, out of. I save you, I call you, I keep you, and I will never lose you. I will never blot out of the book of life your name. And I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. God's promises. Revelation 13, 1 through 10, and that's page 1227. Buckle down with me. Some of you probably have never probably read these scriptures. I've read the second half of Revelation 13. Now I'm going to read the first half. When did God write our names in the Lamb Book of Life? And how is it connected to the doctrine of predestination? Here it is. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems and on his horns and blasphemous names on his head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Verse 4, and they worshipped the dragon. And he had given his authority to the beast, Satan, the false prophet, and Antichrist. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? They're giving allegiance to it. They're worshiping it. Who can fight against it? Verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority by God's sovereign providence. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, meaning a certain season of time. And it's opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwelled in heaven, verse 7. And also it was allowed to make war on the saints, those of us who God has called, the remnant, the elect, those who have been predestined, to conquer them, meaning he will kill some of us. Some of us will die for the faith. And authority was given it over every tribe, every people, Africa, Russia, China, Korea, North Korea, Japan, Bosnia, 
all the nations of the earth. This beast was given power and authority over every tribe and every people and language and nation. Verse 8, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Anyone whose name was not written in the book will worship it. And it says that their names was written before the foundation of the world. One more. Revelation 17. Page 1229. Look at verse 1. Talking about the Babylon, the beast, all of the, what we see happening in the world seems like it's just getting worse and worse. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, talking about the world, Satan's system, who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. That's why you see so much invasion of sexual immorality. It's just like it's picking up. It seems like the church can't win. But let's keep going. Verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit unto the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup of full of abomination and the impurities of sexual immorality. I know you keep seeing all the sexual immorality. That's what we see around us. That's Satan doing what he's been commissioned to do. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, always fighting against God's people, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names, whose names have not, I please say, Pastor Hardy didn't write this, whose names who have not been written in the book of life. What's the last part? From where, From when? from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and not is not and is to come. Word predestination shows up in the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is called the Queen Epistle because it pulls back the veil and allows for us to see that salvation 
grace and God's election of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue was something that God set in motion in eternity past. Would you please turn in? I'm coming to a close. Ephesians chapter 1, 11 59. Try not to rush through this, but I want to get to this. Ephesians chapter 1. In your book, it should be Pew Bible 1159. The Greek word for predestined is parizo, parizo, which means something to, to take, which means something to that which takes in advance, to decide beforehand, to determine ahead of time. And so here in Ephesians, starting with verse 3, this queen epistle, look at what Paul says. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, and even as he chose us, your Christian here today, every time I read this, I just, um, he chose us Sometimes when I'm walking, I'm just like, God, how did I become a Christian? And so many of my friends are not, I grew up with. And all I can go back is just, I don't, I don't know how to explain that to you. I don't know how to explain that, how I became a pastor. And I'm just, I'm humble. I can't, I don't know what else to do with that. I just want to hug people and love people because I know I wasn't no better. And I, when I read this text, it says, even that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That means you, you had me on your mind, God, before you formed me in my mother's womb. You had me. You had, I was this kid from starters. And he had you. He had us on, our, on his mind, and he knew us, and he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And he predestined. It was not by luck he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness in trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And I love how chapter, verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance and have been predestined, elected according to the purpose of him who works all things according to to the counsel of his will. And so as I come to this communion table, it has finally started to set in on me now at 57. I've come to understand Jesus' words from John chapter 10, more from the heart now. What Jesus says, 
my sheep hear my voice, the great shepherd. They hear my voice from every tongue and tribe. And Jesus says, I know them, and they will follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, Jesus says. They will never perish. They will never be cast into the lake of fire. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. And my Father who has given them to me before the foundation of the world, he, he wrote their names in the Lamb's book of life. I love it when Jesus refers to the disciples in Luke chapter 10 when they come back from, from doing discipleship. Jesus says, praise God, you ought to thank him that your names have been written in heaven. In verse 29, he says, the Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And Jesus says, and, and no one, and Jesus says, and no one, hear this, and no one, if you are a true Christian, and no one, Jesus says, no demon, no angel, no one, your mama, your grandmama, no pastor, no friend, no one, Jesus says, is able to snatch you, them, out of the Father's hand. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so I come to this table. The great shepherd would say to you here today, to the genuine sheep, he would say this to you. You might be struggling with sin, but as God says to those in the church of Sardis, he will give you the power to conquer, the power to overcome. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Paul says, from the great shepherd. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to all the sheep of his pasture that he knows by name, which will be there on that great day when he opens up the book of life and you say, how did I get into that book of life? I think Jesus would say, I wrote it there before I shaped you and he formed you in your mother's womb. And he will say this to you, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you drink, you eat of his bread you know that he has saved you and he wants you to know that not be discouraged but be encouraged that he's not going to cast you out he's not going to throw you away that you are his and when you eat this bread today that you know that he has cleansed you here and then he says in the same way he also took the cup and after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in the remembrance of me. My covenant of electing grace, which is in my blood. I elected you. I called you. This is why you're here this morning. It's why you can't do what some of your friends do. They just sin and they don't have no conviction of it. 
You ever ask yourself, why are you always so convincing? Because you're the wrong excuse. Because you feel that urge, that, that sense of, I'm hurting my, my Savior, hurting my Lord. Those who are not of his, they have no chance. They can care less. And so you're here this morning. This table is for you if you're a believer. And this one who has come and died and gave his life for the ransom of his soul. If you're not a believer and you God's still in the process, meaning where this all makes sense to you, then I would say to you, the scripture says for you to refrain from it, not to come until you can fully know that you know that you know that you are her son and that you are his daughter. So with that being said, let me pray as the elders make their way forward. Father, we thank you for this table. And it means a lot more to us today, Lord, because we realize, Lord, that this is not of anything that we could have done for ourselves. We're children of grace, children of mercy. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, 9, it's not of our own work that we make ourselves to see to be availed of who you are. But yet we do see, we do know you, and we love you and we worship you, and we are so grateful to you. I pray here this morning as we eat this bread at this time, Lord, after preaching on that day of the final judgment, that many will be cast into the lake of fire. Lord, I don't boast that I somehow figure it out on my own. I come to this table recognizing it is all of grace to me. And I'm deeply humble and thankful that I'm able to come to this table to know that I'm a son, that I'm your child, but that you love me more than I can even recognize and see sometimes for myself. And not only me, but all of us, Lord, here in this room today, that you love us. And you chose us, as the scripture says, before the foundation of the world. And I pray here today, Jesus, as we eat this bread and drink of this wine, that we would just let this truth break us in a way, Lord, that we haven't been broken. That we would leave here today loving people, sharing the truth of your word, because we know it's not of our power that we make people better. It's not our human persuasion that we can do it either something that you do. I don't understand all of that. Lord. I just see it. <laughs> May we be humble as we come today. Thank you for joining Urban Hope Community Church's podcast today on the sermon titled The Coming Final Day of Judgment, Part 3. From Acts 17, 30 through 31, and Revelation 20, 11 through 15. If you need to listen to any other sermons or need additional information and resources, you can find them at our website at urbanhopecc.com.